healthcare functions the way we've built it to function. The incentives fee for service, we got exactly what we paid for. You pay somebody to do more um, without, ha- without having a lot of standards built around that, you know, that's what you get. That's Sean Morris, Previa Health's Chief Executive Officer. When you think about who typically uses online patient portals, maybe millennials first come to mind. Well, over 15% of patients in their hundreds, over 20% of patients in their 90s, and over half of patients over 60 are active on Privia Health's online portal. On this episode, Sean talks about this and shares his three big industry predictions for what's next in healthcare. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. Check out our healthcare publication called Oliver Wyman Health at health.oliverwyman.com and follow our industry insights on Twitter at OWHealthEditor. We invite you to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode goes live. Thanks and enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Sam Glick, partner in the Health and Life Sciences practice here at Oliver Wyman. In this episode, I'm delighted to be speaking with Sean Morris. Sean is the CEO of Privia Health, where he works with providers to help them make the transition to value, uh, building partnerships across the health ecosystem and delivering a new kind of care experience. Uh, Sean's also joining us this year at our Oliver Wyman Health Innovation Summit, so I'm delighted to have him here. Sean, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sam. Excited to be here. So, Sean, uh, tell us a little bit about Privia and how you came to be the CEO. Privia Health, um, 2,500-plus providers. We really form high-performing medical groups. We provide uh, the services. Think about that as a management services-type offering uh, that's built around bringing highly specialized talent, Learn the tools, and when I talk about tools, I usually talk about um, not just data. Everybody talks a lot about data, but really actionable data, items that matter. And then really, we bring a technology platform, and we've been able to scale um, really from about four or five providers in Northern Virginia five and a half years ago to over 2,500 today in uh, five states and plus DC and. Just really excited, and the, the background of me coming was, um, I think it's a it's an interesting part of the of my journey. Is I would I, for the last, I guess, previous 13 years, I would worked at various positions within HealthSpring, fifth largest Medicare Advantage plan. I got there where we were raising capital, and we went public and ran the company for several years as a standalone public Medicare Advantage company, and eventually sold the company to Cigna. And I stayed there about another six years, but. I laugh. I, I had multiple jobs. I think I had every job, but paying claims, and I may have helped do that. But I think the people, the professionals who do that, would would laugh at me <laughs> if, I, if I said it. But the um, end up leaving the company. I was president. One of the reasons it really got me excited about coming to Privia Health is the consolidation of providers over the last you know ten years plus, and some of those being you know kind of purchased, you know, the, the big standalone independents as well as independents going into the healthcare systems. Through that time, some of them are just really great medical groups and providers, but I haven't seen through the years those that can scale across multiple geographies, and and that's what gets me excited about what we're doing, and just the ability to do that, there's really, I think you have to be thoughtful, and I think just 
you know, coming from Hellspring and the experience that taught me as a leader, you know, we grew from three quarters of the size of, of um, previous today in revenue to nine and a half million dollars when I left and, and, you know, me being the president and we, we believe there just like I believe today is healthcare is very local. And so what that means is the transition to value or the transition to risk or whatever people want to call it these days is um, you really have to have the, those tools um, talent and technology at a local level, and then step back and say, okay, how do you scale a business and make a national business? And, and you're, that's to me, there's a lot of um, nice friction that goes back and forth about that. So I'm excited to be here, Sam. Um, the, um, and I'm really like to jump, to jump in and talk about predictions in the future. And we'll, I think um, as predictions go, we'll We'll see yeah, now it'll be, it'll be fun. And, and for our audience here, Sean, uh, in advance of this conversation, shared three predictions he has uh, about the future of healthcare as we all get in kind of a future-oriented mindset for our, our Health Innovation Summit. Um, and I think these are based on uh, lots of experience that he just described, but also really being on the front lines of care and listening uh, to consumers. And Sean, if, I, if I've got them right, your three predictions were an increase in consumer engagement, an increase in novel partnerships, meaning more than the, more than just the usual M&A, and that interoperability is going to conquer mounting regulation. Did I get the three right? You did. All right. So maybe we, we dig in on the first one. Um, looking back over your, your career and what you're learning right now at Privia, um, obviously consumers are important, but I think a lot of people would say they're pretty engaged already. Um, why do you think consumer engagement is going to continue to increase significantly? Today's patients are, I think, just if we look back over the last five, ten years, and I think it probably even if you just in, I think it's going to get faster and faster. So we probably don't have to. I don't know that we'll have to look forward five to ten. And it really, when I, I really kind of think about it and talk to my team about it, it, it is if we continue at the speed of development, it'll be. I think kind of mind-boggling what's possible. Um, so, I mean, we all know we live in the world of today of uh, you know Amazon and can literally order something. It can be at our door in an hour or two. And at the worst case, probably anywhere you live in the U.S., you can get it in a couple of days. So, it's changing our expectations of what we should expect out of a high-performing organization and, a, and organizations that we prefer to do business with. And and I really still believe the bar is really low in healthcare. I mean, it's just, it's the, the experience of healthcare is, is, um, is not really changed drastically. It sure hadn't kept up with the consumer expectations. And, and you know, this, what we talk a lot about is, you know, is we need to meet our providers where they are. Really, we can, maybe I'll come up in one of my others. Um, discussion points, but it really just means meeting a provider where they are on that road to value, and every provider is in a different spot. And but really, for reference to consumers, we tell our providers a lot and have a lot of discussions with them. That they need to meet their patients, you know, somebody's consumers um, where they are, and and that means you know that means you know, having on, online portals, that means being able to schedule your appointments online, being able to see them when that, you know, patient or when that that mom's children needs to be seen and not driving in traffic. And, you know, maybe it's a specialist that's not available in their in their community and those type of things. And we just really think it's critical. And, 
that we found out it's about inertia. Physicians practice the way they've practiced for years. They react to data and uh, to data. One of it you kind of spoke to earlier about actionable data. And you know, the first thing when you talk to a provider, it's like, well, my schedule's really full, and and I don't know that I really need to change. And then you show them how the you know their office visits. You know, they're, they're attributed members, for lack of a better word, I'm looking at it, they're attributed patients. They're seeing 18% of those less in the last three years or and where they're going when you have get claims data from payers and, or, or CMS and they're going down the street to urgent care or they're going to their local hospital. And, and um, you know, that's debatable. Sometimes that that's probably the best choice, maybe a little more expensive choice for that consumer. The other thing I would say is the health plans have really been after what they would consider customer or consumer experience for some time, from call centers to all different ways. And and running a health plan for years, I would say we were never delighted, but our expectations were when we reached out to a consumer, the open email was pretty low. I can tell you as a large provider with patient portals and communicate by text, email, or through secure portals, those open rates can range from you know, 50 to 85%. And it's amazing. The other thing I can tell you is it's really shocking to me. We actually track our ability to, you know, who is in our portal and how often they engage in it, what their age is. And as you might imagine, Sam, you know, you would expect the Gen X and the Ys and to really be engaged in 60% of each one of those engaged through a portal. I can tell you baby boomers are only, they're 53%. We read a lot about that. What's, what really shocked me is we have a few hundred patients over the age of 100, and 15% of those register and engage with us on an online portal. And kind of the ages between 90 and 100, we have over 10,000, and 20% of those are, are kind of registered and, and um, just looking at lab results and that type of thing. So hold on, are you telling me you have you have 2,000 plus people in their 90s on your portal? Yeah, they've registered. And they engage, we track, you know, how many of them have been logged in the last 180 and how many will log in the last 90 days and so forth. But it, it shocked me. That's amazing. It is amazing. And I have an 86-year-old mother, and um, she has a, an iPad-type device, and she doesn't live in a city where we are located that we have a practice. But, I mean, she communicates with and so forth, and it's pretty easy to use. I think it gets down to how can we make it easy and convenient for that cohort or age group. And we try to look at that interaction from how easy should it be and what's the expectation. But, you know, we're a small company. We take the technology aspect very serious, but, you know, look at CVS announcing health hubs. Look at every big major health system. Everybody feels that they have to have a relationship with the consumer or the patient. And so I believe that's really going to drive consumer engagement we're seeing much more use in high deductible plans. We could debate how they should be set up and all, but we're hearing, you know, even regulatory type statements of more things have to be covered up front. But I think that um, the company that begins to introduce, the organization that begins to introduce more transparent and allow consumers to make choices with cost, and we're hearing a lot more about that. I think it's really going to drive that, and I think consumers are going to demand it. Yeah. So you mentioned the technology bit on this piece and you know consumer engagement has a service piece of it and a very human piece of it that I think is 
at least relatable for providers. They're on the front lines. It's what providing good care looks like ultimately when you break down consumerism. But we have a lot of people who listen to these conversations who are like you, executives at small organizations. They don't have the resources of a CVS or somebody else. How do you think about and prioritize technology investments around consumer engagement? I imagine you know, you have to make the right pick because you can't afford to do some of them twice. You're exactly right. And we do intelligence like any others. We talk to our payers a lot. We, we really believe payers are clients and we think we should be working with like-minded payers. Now, you know, we, we have better relationships than others in certain markets, but coming out of a payer background, and but always being kind of oriented towards the provider, kind of all boats can rise in a way if you structure the product correctly and you attempt to line incentives and so forth. So we listen to payers. We're private equity backed by Goldman Sachs and we have a lot of access into the private equity world. And so we we pay attention to what's going on and where dollars are being invested and we try to stay current. But I think some of the most important thing is we have the ability to interact with, you know, 2.3 million patients and we have 600 and something thousand attributed lives to in, in some type of value-oriented program. And then we have 2,500 plus providers. So we build a strategic plan. We believe virtual care in the next five years is going to you know, really be a, a way to deliver care. We're seeing our providers, we have a, of our 2,500 by the end of the year, we have a goal of about 1,000 being active and utilizing virtual health. And we're well on our way there. What's interesting is, Sam, is you would think, okay, it's about acute care because that's the way virtual care is delivered today. The, the companies are out there. What we're seeing when our doctors engage on that, it's really once that relationship's built, it's about convenience. These aren't the three-minute visits that we all picture. What's odd is it's, it, there's inertia to get a provider to do them. And we found that once they kind of, over a short period of time, they, they deliver it kind of five times and get more comfortable. It's a different way of delivering care. So, but back to your original question was, um, we try to spend our dollars wisely, and um, we just think that investment in technology is critical to scale, and to be able to scale and build a national organization. And all those 2,500 providers, with the exception of one group, sits on our single instance proprietary platform, and boy, that makes um, life so much different for the consumer and for the provider and and for us, when we're trying to aggregate and, you know, kind of digest and, and kind of put those actual items back out there. So that gets, we can take them out of order. That gets me to that prediction. Anybody who's worked in healthcare has faced the frustration of interoperability. Everybody wants to be able to take in everybody else's data, but they don't want to share it out with anybody else, which <laughs> seems to be the situation. Um, and I won't, I won't name names here, but it seems there's a lot of blaming of big technology vendors, you know, for being kind of one-way streets when it comes to data. But your prediction is actually that businesses are going to be the ones that are going to make interoperability happen in the face of regulation, not that regulation is going to make interoperability happen. I'm curious. I think we all know why interoperability is good, but why do you think it's going to happen that way? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a proponent of private organizations kind of driving these, but also I'm not so naive that sometimes we don't need to be nudged that way. As a backdrop, our government spent $30 billion plus dollars thinking that they were heading towards interoperability but we all know the incentives were a little bit different and you know we could all debate that but we do have that now go back to the Obama administration and that 
you know, how can the default be open up the access to the data versus it always be closed as long as we can de- de-identify it? And how did they begin to structure all that Medicare data and get it out in the hands of the public? And the Trump administration now continues that. And so I think we're seeing some of that come to fruition, things like, you know, Blue Button and all these. I think we're seeing people kind of, you know, how can we use this data that's out there? Um, so that's that's one thing. I think the federal government's kind of leading some of that versus we have different relationship with different payers. And we have, when I mean that, we have access to data. And, and when the data's not right, we know who to call and get those things. But it'll never move at the speed we desire nor need. But as we build additional partnerships with payers and health systems, and just in the last 18 months, the, the conversations we are having about this specifically, and everybody realizes you've got to have access to data. And even some of those have said, hey, you know, I don't know if I have the clout, you know, but we will do our best to open up our platform to yours. We are all kind of trying to search in for the same thing. That consumer experience is critical to kind of have stickiness to a patient. We've chosen to do that on one single platform. We believe the patient owns their data. We use, you know, 500 different um, APIs to move data in and out and in and out of our practice and, and it, it put it at the hands of our doctors and actuaries and data scientists to kind of, to kind of, you know, I guess, you know, move the dial on the, at the moments that matter for, for our providers and our, and our patients. But I just really believe that once these, um, the stakeholders become to get to, you know, start coming together, I think the speed to market it because they're going to have a leg up if they can move this data back and forth in an efficient manner. And it's very difficult to kind of connect 80 to 100, you know, different disparate EMRs. And, and the technology is not quite there yet. But uh, boy, if you can narrow that down to a couple, two or three and, and make the investments necessary, the patient experience is going to improve unbelievably. And I think the provider experience will, and providers will kind of migrate to a situation where they can improve quality of life. And what I like to say, you know, if we can do some of these things, we will bring back the, the, the reason they got into healthcare and the way of practice in medicine. Well, and it's an interesting point. I, you know, I think you raise a lot of interesting points, which is, you know, we... CMS may be the only agency with long-term consistent policy left in Washington, uh, which I think is actually good for us. I mean, we've had Democrats in charge and Republicans in charge, and pretty much we continue down this path. Um, and then, I, you know, there's a lot of conversation in the industry about kind of owning the customer, which I think leads to this kind of fortress, you know, don't share data mentality. And talking to people like you, I think we're moving to owning the experience and letting, to your point earlier, letting consumers choose you, um, which requires a very different approach to, to data interoperability. We want people choosing us because of every interaction, not being forced to use us because we're the only ones with their data. It's kind of a different mindset, I think, for a lot of traditional players in, in healthcare. And it, it actually brings me to your, your last prediction, which is, you know, it's interesting reflecting on what you've done with Privia with 2,500 providers and you're not the only kind of independent or non-hospital affiliated provider organization. We've all seen the big deals that Optum's doing with Optum Care. We've seen some of these specialty models like Caremore and Alignment and Lumeris and elsewhere, and we can probably name a bunch of others. It used to be, I think, that if you were a physician organization and you wanted 
you know, the kind of technology scale that you needed and um, a little bit more predictability in your business, you joined a health system. And now the, the partnerships that we see seem to be nearly every combination you can imagine. Why is that? And, and why do you think we're going to see more of those? You know, I think, you know, kind of at the foundation, you know, we've always heard it for, I guess, our entire careers. You can build by our partner. That still remains true. And it gets and it some of to your question. We look at it that way on our technology. What's critical nowadays is speed to market. Um, and I think, it, you know, is the, if you're going to partner, are your visions aligned? What are we trying to do? And, and, and in this whole move to value, and it's just, gosh, I've been doing this for 25 plus years. And people hear me say, you stop at 25 plus, you never move to 30 plus. But for 25 plus years, <laughs> it's, you're, it's, just, um, you're just in the plus. <laughs> yeah, I'm just in the plus area. You know, when I was young and probably naive, I used to, oh, yeah, I was, you know, at a young age, I was a CFO for a medical group that we took, you know, Full risk on forty thousand commercial lives, and it was you know it's like oh this is the future of healthcare, and you know here we are twenty five plus years later, <laughs> we're we're gonna have our foot in you know kind of both canoes or one on the dock and one on the canoe about fee for service and you know value and but you know you can be successful doing that, but what's interesting is you know I think a great example is the um, of, uh, our relationship with Health First. It's a very successful health system down in uh, in Brevard County and. And they actually sought us out. We at the time we probably had, I don't recall, seventeen hundred or so providers. And you know, they sought us out. They'd done a bunch of research and they said, Hey, we we are trying to have a relationship with our independent providers. We've done a bunch of due diligence. We think you're the right partner. And could you sit down with us and build a model? This is like a unicorn. You know, I've been trying to do this for a long time. And we literally took about a year and a half and there's a lot of you know technical things you have to worry about around Stark and state law and built a kind of a model where you, you're bringing independence and you're bringing employed or together into a medical group and they took the fences you know it's should I should I be concerned if I'd employ them or I are they in, in my community I know they're both very important to my success as a health system and and they they had a play a much more progressive uh, just thought about that than I had traditionally heard for years. Now, with that said, it's um you know like earlier I mentioned they're all going to be on the same technology, the Privia stack, and we're bringing in we we're building governance. We've been in there for months, you know, before a live date, and and really kind of building physician leadership and all these different things. But the most interesting thing is we. We didn't for a long time. We didn't. This was all covered by NDA, and we couldn't get out and talk about it. It is. I've learned the world of healthcare is very small. Sam, you probably know that better than me. Um, and once something has really, you know, people start kind of listening, and you know, would this apply in my situation? And we have at least three conversations a week with the various other health systems, as I mentioned before, and. And people are really thinking about things differently. People that may not have thought about, you know, you know, something this in a structure such as this. And what we've learned is healthcare is very local still. I believed in it probably my my entire career, but you really have to get in and listen. You know, you have to have those conversations with the C-suite endorsed by them. You know, they have to they have to want to 
you know, they have to want to do something, you know, that's, that's pretty innovative, but what it gets down to is, you know, it's a position alignment strategy and, and they, they, they have pressure to move to value like everybody else does and different motives to do so. So, but um, I, and in every situation, not, I don't know of a system in the U S that can employ enough doctors to make, you know, to find success. And, and we can debate the reasons why, but most have come to that conclusion, at least the ones I'm talking to. And, and I just, I think it's great for independent providers. I, I just, I've spent a career, you know, kind of working really close with, with closely with different independent docs, primary care and specialty. And, and I think that would lead to, it's not just about a doctor group working with, um, with a high health system in a different way, but Boy, the, really, uh, to, you know, some of these really like-minded payers that have seen if you, you know, kind of um, that you can be successful as a health plan if you align the incentives correctly with your with your providers. And then I would add the buzz for the last years has been all about primary care. I think as we move further, and we're starting to see it in some of our more mature markets, it's primary care focused, but when you can bring in those critical relationships with the key specialist and you're going to improve consumer experience, you're going to improve affordability, you're going to improve your relationship with the health system. You know, a lot of, you know, I hear a lot that people that build physician organizations, and I may have said it in my career, the hospital's a vendor or, you know, you know, all the waste is going to come out of there. And, you know, we could argue there's some opportunity to do some of that. But at the same time, these partnerships are what's going to be key in these local communities to really reduce cost of care, provide a differentiated experience with the consumer having more of that first dollar coverage. The partners that can come together and build that type of product, the consumer's going to know it and they're going to feel it. And they're going to feel it in their pocketbook. And people tend to lose when their pocketbook feels a you know, that they're, they're getting a little bit of value. On that point, what lessons are there in there for organizations that want to engage in novel partnerships with physician organizations? You know, you, you spend a good amount of time in health plans. I've seen a lot of quote-unquote big corporate health plan executives who think, oh, if you just get a physician group, you can manage them like you can any other group of employees. They've been burned and burned <laughs> pretty badly. What advice would you give those who aren't coming from physicians, organizations about how to think about those partnerships. Yeah, I, I think um, it has to be at the highest leadership level. It, it has to be a priority, a strategic priority. It's not going to happen in a year. And, it, you know, it's got a high organizational priority to build these things. And, and they're not short term. I mean, these are, you know, they have to be long term contracts and realistic goals and, when they become priorities of the organization and they're communicated as such, relatively speaking, every organization of size has, you know, you have to align in, you know, kind of the vision and the desires of your, you know, all the folks that work in the, in the organization. So that's why it's, it's key to, to kind of start at that level. And, and I think you kind of have to a little bit kind of get into that. You know, I've got to be comfortable being in an uncomfortable area of something I'm not, you know, what I mean by that is just something I'm not, it's not traditionally, it's not the status quo, because if we're going to move the dial, uh, and I, there will be organizations that do it. I mean, we're having, I'm just, I'm really kind of blown away weekly at the, the organizations we speak to, and I'm not naive. This is going on everywhere. We're not the only ones doing it. So, so I think you have to start at the top. I think it has to be, you know, a priority at, at the leadership level. And 
you've got to have a long-term vision of what you're trying to accomplish. Of course, you got to measure it. If you don't measure it, it's not going to happen and those type things and then and go from there. And I think you have to figure out how to align incentives of the parties. And that is probably the most complicated thing. Got it. Got it. So, Sean, I'm going to ask you the question we ask everybody here on the, the podcast. If you had all the money, time, resources, space in the world, what's the one thing you would fix about healthcare? You know, I think that's always been an easy question for me. Um, we hear a lot about, Sam, you know, healthcare is broken and it's broken and it's non-sustainable. It's frustrating, but, but really healthcare functions the way we've built it to function. Deeper service, we got exactly what we paid for. You pay somebody to do more without having a lot of standards built around that, you know, that's what you get. Um, is there a way... You know, you can wave the magic wand, for lack of a better word, and, and begin to think about all the stakeholders out here. It's, it's ironic that everybody's interested in getting into healthcare just because of the sheer volume of dollars that flows through. It is unbelievably complex already. Um, so how do you align all those incentives of all those different stakeholders? It, it's not just about the professional bucket, what I mean by just the doctor, the, the dollars. It's not just about the institutional, you know, non-physician bucket and the pharmacy and the payer. I mean, it, there's so many different downstream entities. And I've been in the risk business for years, um, you know, kind of built IPAs in my first part of my career many, many all over the U.S., and then we built the Medicare Advantage plan, and of course, you've got all the risk when you do that. I mentioned earlier, I ran a capitated primary care group, and, but uh, I learned somewhere along the way that it's easy to see the areas you can improve in. You know, you look at data, and you see trend, and, you know, why is this cost line going up? Why is this not? It's pretty easy to identify that all that stuff as a, with a financial background or good financial people. The issue becomes, I always tell people um, getting into the business, I said, You'll, you'll find many, many ways. You'll find lots of areas you think you can improve on. Always remember, that is somebody's income stream, and they're not going to give up on that easily. <laughs> so back to your question, if we could just wave a magic wand, I don't think we can. I think this is one of the most complex things in healthcare is because all the stakeholders involved and align everybody's incentives. These other predictions we talked about, I think we would have so much speed on those, but it is a complex environment we all work choose to work on but but uh i wouldn't choose to work in any other i've made a career in it and i've made primarily a career working with physicians and i love the fact that i work closely with them every day and people would say why would you do that that's a tough partner uh, i said you know what what do you look for in a business partner you look for very smart so the most physicians didn't get through medical school you know being average and the second one is you want highly competitive people, and they didn't get through medical school not being highly competitive people. So, you know, yeah, they're difficult to work with some days, but I love working with them. And I honestly think they're the key to um, affordability and, and really you know, continue to improve in quality and really this whole patient experience. And if we can do that, I actually think we can bring back the joy of practice in medicine and, and they can, you know, they can enjoy, have a reasonable living doing it and, and have a, a right, you know, kind of a partner to have tools and talent and the technology built around them and, you know, kind of drive through these innovative partnerships and find the right partners. And at the end of the day, attract more than your fair share of consumers by giving them a, a great patient experience. And, you know, that's what we, that's what we try to go to work with every day. Yeah. Deal with. Well, I think if everybody had your attitude and, and 
your magic wand, we'd be in a lot better place in, in healthcare. <laughs> Sean Morris, uh, thank you for making if the you time. you find that magic wand, yeah. please share I'll it I'll send me. it your way. But, but Sean Morris, thank you for the time. Good luck with uh, Privia, and I, I look forward to talking again soon. Sam, greatly appreciate it, and I'll see you in the fall. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out our other executive conversations on the business of transforming healthcare, featuring guests like Comcast, Aetna, Humana, Castlight, and many more. We invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new podcast goes live. For more on today's episode, follow us on Twitter at OW Health Editor and visit our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health, at health.oliverwyman.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.